part two because Tony beat three freaking times in the first episode. Yeah. So let's get it started. Hello, everybody. We know the last thing you need is another fitness podcast to catch you up on the newest trends, fad diets, fictitious fat blasting workouts that are going to be dead in the coming decade. Enter Mariana and myself starting the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast to make exercise and nutrition science practical. Our goal is to expose misinformation in the industry by providing only evidence-based education where today, the goal of today's episode is our first guest to have it on Shane. Our goal of today is to introduce to you guys what we truly believe is the lowest hanging fruit in performance and recovery. The, the smallest effort you could put in to yield the largest results, which is how you breathe. Breathwork, right? So Shane, Mariana, we're all doing this today. What's up guys? Hey, Tony, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is yeah, Shane. I was like, this is gonna be fun. All right, so this is Shane, Mariana, as always. Shane yeah, you guys know is... me, I'm not as interesting. <laughs> Shane's over in Big Bear, California, mm -hmm. right now. Just got back from a little trip. How are you today, Shane? I'm doing good, yeah. My fiance and I, Lauren White, have about two months left here. Up in, We're actually Lake Arrowhead, but it's close to Big Bear. And we're in the middle of selling our house and moving to Tulum. So there's a lot of stuff going on and really excited time of year. Yeah. I was going to say, wow. Mary, on your face. Shane is, Shane yeah, my Lauren, mouth like, just the dropped. Most, they're the most exciting people <laughs> to know. You text, text them every week. It's like, oh, hey. Well, we bought our house six months ago, and then two weeks ago, we were laying in bed, and Lauren just looks at me and goes, should we just sell our house and move to Mexico? And I go, yeah, we should. And then... I love that. <laughs> yeah. I it's the most that. exciting. It's hard to keep up with. I, if I go to, if I go more than five days without seeing Shane and I text him, there's, <laughs> there's something new that I'm like, oh, what? Something <laughs> like that, which cracks me up. But Shane, one of my best friends, we, I wanted to have him on the podcast too, just to give everyone a little context. He has one of the most, I think, interesting and why, here's what I love about it. It's not just the most depth of knowledge in breadth work, but the widest variety and depth in breadth work. Like it's very flexible. It's not like you just look into one style of breath work for just performance, but I want you to tell us a little bit more about what you've done before with breath work. I mean, your life, I feel like you're going to, this could be an episode of itself, but where you've gotten into breathwork, why you started, and then what kind of different routes you took to get to where you are today. Okay. So back when I was about 16 or 17 years old, I remember watching the Discovery Channel and seeing these monks in Tibet doing breathwork exercises, and they were throwing sheets over them and having them dry the sheets out there in the Himalayas in Tibet, where it's freezing cold with their own body temperatures. So what was happening was, the, and they had been doing studies on this, on how these monks were able to do this, because what was happening was they were controlling autonomic metabolic processes, being able to control their body temperature and move temperatures throughout their body. And scientists were like, how the hell are these guys doing this? And it just fascinated me at the time, because I was, I don't know. I was thinking that these guys knew some kind of Jedi mind tricks that I didn't. Mm -hmm. And it just started this interest that kind of fell off for a little bit in my early twenties and then started to pick back up of what is the basis of all of these different interesting traditions, yoga and Taoism and, and different forms of, of Buddhism. 
they all have some kind of breath control practice. In fact, it's usually, it's the foundation in yoga, it's pranayama in Tibetan Buddhism. It's a breath hold called Kumbhaka, which is the main thing that you're doing when you're doing this, it's called Tumo. That, that's what they do in Tibetan Buddhism. And that's what a lot of people mistakenly call Wim Hof's method. They call it Tumo, mm. breath of fire. Mm. It's not the same at all. It's actually very mm. different. So exploring all these different traditions, I have traveled to all kinds of different teachers all over the world to practice with them and train with them. So I've learned Tumo since then from, from a, you know, a, a actual master I've learned Taoist internal alchemy, these different breathing tr practices that are used to control the autonomic nervous system that are used to bring energy into the body and, and do all of this stuff. But at a certain point I started to go, well, what's actually physiologically happening here? What is the, the basis of all of this stuff? And how can I take this and apply it to just day-to-day -day human performance stuff? And then I started meeting people like Brian McKenzie, who I had on my podcast not too long ago, who was asking the same questions. And he has a background in endurance. You know, he's done a lot with Laird Hamilton, who's also big into this area now of breath control for, you know, impacting our physiology. So I just started diving into all of it and started putting all of those pieces together of the things that I've learned from these different traditions that have their own terminology for it. And then I started to go, oh, okay, they're actually affecting their CO2 tolerance. Oh, they're actually manipulating their sympathetic nervous system or parasympathetic for these different altered states of mind. And that kind of has been my passion for the past 10 years. Yeah, it was going to say, we were just talking about this too, because now you're even taking it to the next level with deep sea, right? Where you've, I mean, you've yeah. buckled down hard on your own breathwork technique, but you're going into deep sea diving soon too with the Tulum. Yeah. So one of the big reasons I'm going to Tulum is because in Tulum, they have these cenotes, which are these big kind of cave systems, or they're just these giant pits of fresh water in the jungle. And most of them just go straight down and you're able to go 40, you know, feet underneath the water in without worrying about a shark biting you in half it is one of the reasons I'm interested in you doing it there. But free divers, they really understand this stuff when it comes to breath work and it's a life or death situation for them because when you're 40 feet underneath the water without oxygen in silent darkness, you have to be extremely calm. <clears throat> have to understand your body's physiology. You have to know how to read its signals and you have to have developed a really high tolerance to things like CO2. And so I've started to get interested in how they have applied these techniques and then kind of actually stress testing them. Because when you're in the water, you're stress testing them. You're under a, a big stress. Cause like I said, the moment you start panicking 40 feet underneath the water, that's a bad situation. Mm -hmm. A little bit. <laughs> well, because here's what I love about it. I want, Mariana, we were talking about this yesterday, but because it seems like where you sparked your interest is you see all these people doing it through different practices, practicing breath work, the massive effect it has. But then you kind of took it a step further to dig and say, well, why? What is happening in their bodies? What is allowing them to do these things? 
and Mariana and I were talking, I was like, what is that title? I think what, it was a mechanical, what, what did you call it? Where it was oh, based on so, mechanisms. Yeah. Like not just, just science mechanism, just the mechanism behind, you know, I think this is where we could, you could start with us to kind of explain mm -hmm. these performance outcomes that we've already started to talk about, but what is breathing? What's going mm -hmm. on in your body? When you breathe, what is this mechanism that has allowed us to apply many evidence-based theories, not just in research, but in the outside world? I mean, in a lot of Chinese medicine, they are so many steps ahead of us in terms of how breathing can completely enhance your, not only your quality of life, but level you up in all other aspects of what you're doing. So what is breathing what's going on when you breathe i guess is where we can we can start to break it down right i think that oh my dog just ran i think simply put breathing is taking in oxygen and expelling co2 so uh, the more complicated answer is when we breathe in oxygen that goes into these little air sacs in our lungs called alveoli those alveoli take in the oxygen and red blood cells carry that oxygen to all the different tissues in our body through hemoglobin. So what, why that matters is the, those to create ATP, which is the energy cell of the body, we need oxygen. Hold on. My dog is. I was like, I hear that puppy. I feel like I, I could just imagine her going crazy on a toy right now. <laughs> it's cracking me up. Sorry. Okay. So the ATP is where we left off. The ATP. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so we're taking in oxygen because we need to create energy, ATP. So when we're breathing it, breathing in oxygen, red blood cells are carrying that to the cells, carrying it throughout the body, through our blood and hemoglobin which is a protein that has an affinity for oxygen is what's carrying that around. O2 is created in that process through what's called cellular respiration. And cellular respiration is when glucose and O2 and oxygen are created to make ATP. So how, the, so everybody that's done like a pulse oximeter knows that their finger is reading like 97, 98, 99% oxygen. We don't have a problem with getting oxygen into our body. There's plenty of oxygen running through. The problem is actually how much we're able to utilize. And that's mm. where CO2 comes into play because CO2 does something that's called the, it's what the Bohr effect is, which mm -hmm. the Bohr effect is basically saying that the more CO2 in the body, the more we can release oxygen from that hemoglobin to be utilized by the cell to create ATP. Uh. Now, now your anaerobic, so creating ATP can happen through an anaerobic process, or excuse me, an aerobic process and an anaerobic process. When we create it through the aerobic process, that's the, the really good one. And we create about 32 molecules of ATP from one molecule of glucose. When we do it from anaerobic, we can only get about two ATP. So oh, wow. stay, staying in aerobic is really important. And your ability to stay in your aerobic threshold is dependent on your CO2 tolerance. The moment you start to hit that level of CO2 threshold, 
that's your cap. And now you're huffing and puffing and you're exhausted aerobically and you just went into anaerobic. So performance is, is kind of like capped by our aerobic capacity, which our aerobic capacity is capped by our CO2 tolerance. So that's why that whole process of breathing is so interrelated with our ability to create energy and our ability to create output. Okay. Well, okay. So now so I have this question. So like you said, we have plenty of oxygen we're able to use. So let's say just throughout the day, or let's even let's t talk performance through exercise. Mm -hmm. When people are getting exhausted, they, they're huffing, they're puffing. They feel like they can't get enough air. Can you take us through that process? So what is happening when I'm getting exhausted in the gym from an oxygen perspective? Like when I'm running and I just run out of breath, I'm panting, panting, panting. I need to stop. What's happening there in my body? Right. So let's say, let's say you're, you're in the gym and you're doing some high intensity training. Your muscles are requiring more oxygen. So it, that's why you start breathing harder. So mm -hmm. that breathing is bringing in those oxygen molecules and the waste product is the carbon dioxide. So you're having to release more carbon dioxide. Your ability to, to last longer comes from that ability to tolerate more of that carbon dioxide buildup because mm. the moment you start to go into that anaerobic threshold, that's when lactate starts to build that burning in your muscles. Yeah. That's not happening in and excuse me, in aerobic it's, that's an anaerobic yeah. process. So it's, so this, that's where it's the, the, cause I love this cause you introduced me to the co more concept of really tiling it CO2 tolerance. So as you increase your CO2 tolerance, as you can tolerate more and more, your endurance is improving. Yes. Okay. So that's absolutely huge. And what I think is kind of cool, cause I think this episode, we're going to talk about not just performance, but how that and your CO2 tolerance relates to how people feel through the day, how right. people respond to stressors through the day, which I think is, this is why I think breathwork is so freaking cool is it's not just something you can do in the gym to improve your performance there, but it's, there's not that many things that can improve. 24 hours of your day. No, when, so when you hold your breath, what happens after you start to hold it for a little bit? Start to see stars and pass out. Panic a little bit. Panic. If, if, if you're in a state where you, yeah, definitely panic. Yeah, you panic. They did, I don't remember when they did this, but it was probably like 20 or 30 years ago. They did this test to see what happened to people when they just took a big breath full of carbon dioxide. And it immediately gives a full-blown panic attack. They couldn't get people to do it a second time. <laughs> Carbon dioxide is the stress messenger of, of the body. So I once heard Brian McKenzie say that it's possible that psychology is just misunderstood physiology. So things like anxiety are just um, our physiology getting out of whack. Uh, because the more you can solar can tolerate co2 the more it's not having that negative anxiety impact on you co2 is the stress messenger of the body that's what's telling you to breathe so that stress messenger can kind of come from anything it can be emotional stress it can be physical stress but your capacity for stress goes up when <laughs> you can tolerate more co2 I've never heard that before that what you said with Brian McKenzie, how he put it, I yeah. am obsessed with that. I know. I wish I came up with it myself. <laughs> Freaking Brian McKenzie doing it again. 
Uh-huh. Okay. So, so, okay. So that was a very, I think that was a pretty picture perfect. Okay. What is breath? What's going on inside of the body? Now, I think what we want to do too is, and make sure this is like, how do we make it into practical information? Now, just mm-hmm. for context at home too, Shane's been someone who's given me quite a few breathwork exercises to do on my own to do different kind of tests. And I was asking him a few days ago or yesterday, I think when we were talking more about this interview, we're like, okay, what's one test that you can do to kind of assess where your CO2 tolerance is. And you were talking about the breath out, is it was the breath out test or how do you, what would you call that? Yeah. Oh, there's two tests. There's one called the bolt test. Don't ask me what the acronym is. I forget, but that test is essentially you breathe for a couple of minutes and then you let the breath out naturally. You don't try to push it. Just you let it out naturally. And you hold that until your body starts to give you a signal, discomfort, that kind of, you know, when you're holding your breath and you start to get that panicky feeling that you need to breathe, Mm -hmm. it's that. And it's not when it's getting really extreme. It's just kind of the first subtle signals of it. Just that feeling in your chest or some kind of contraction. That's how long you lasted on the bolt test. Most people will, for the first time doing it will be about 20 seconds, even if they're a high performance athlete. And that's pretty average. And by average, I mean, not too good. And, and 10, if you score a 10 or something like that, it's usually you have some kind of pulmonary issue. You're probably sick or something, but. Oh, 40 seconds or more is really where you want to be. That's when you're starting to, because your performance is being capped out by this. Your ability to recover is being capped out by this. So you have such a room for improvement in your CO2 tolerance. And it, you can immediately see what that is through this bolt test. If you're starting to get that feeling at 20 seconds and you have to be honest with yourself, cause you can force through it if you really want Mm. to, but 20 seconds says you have a lot of room for improvement. And the first time I did did it, that's what I got. The other test, this is my favorite one is the breath out and the breath out test. You breathe, get comfortable for about two minutes. The best time to do it is first thing in the morning and you just breathe naturally for about two minutes. And then at the end of that, you kind of take a normal full breath. And you breathe out as long as you can, as long as you can, but you can't stop during that. If you hold your breath for a second during that breath out, the time is over. It has to be continuous and it has to be as slow as you can. 20 on that one is all is not good. 40 is average and 60 to 80 is good. That's the one that that you set me. Yeah. And that's a good indicator of your HRV. Your HRV is telling you what your basic health really is. I mean, it's telling you that you're in a good parasympathetic state mm-hmm. and the, the breath out test is actually, actually, in my opinion, there's some evidence to support this, a more accurate indicator of your overall state than HRV. And that's because your breathing center in the brain happens right here in the brainstem, what people call the reptilian brain. It's, it's very where autonomic processes take place. Mm -hmm. So 
it is right there in the brain. Your brain has a lot of sensors that are looking at what your pH balances of your blood and looking at all these different things that are, are happening with the breath. And it just, so the breath out test is a very good indicator of where your, what your state is, your state of anxiety, your state of overall health. Yeah. Well, cause we, you and I were talking about this the other day where I, cause I've been obsessed with HRV ever since I got my aura ring, yeah. which measures it fairly accurately. And I've been obsessed with it as a good measure of how recovered mm -hmm. you are. And I've even had several clients who got the aura ring or the whoop band or something else that says HRV. And it's crazy when you can stack it up and measure it. Cause you can say, okay, consecutive training days in a row, you can tell HRV gets lower, lower. We take one or two days planned off. It slowly recovers. It's very cyclical, not cyclical. It goes on a very smooth cycle. And what you were telling me yesterday, and this is what we were talking about, is even if your HRV is in a state where it's higher than average, mm -hmm. it says and reads that you're recovered. If you really, really want to check this, do the breath out test. And I know you've told me that you work with your clients where you have them do it every single morning. Just when they wake up, that you have them time it so you can really get a good state of, okay, where are we today? Seconds, which is average. Every day, no problem. And then all of a sudden... You did a heavy leg day the day before, and you wake up and you're barely able to get out 20. You, you, that is your body telling you it is taxed and it needs to recover just like the HRV would be. So it's the best indicator of kind of the state of your, your body. And I do it all the time and I notice it. I'll be doing my breath work like my, in free diving, we do, do something called CO2 and O2 tables. And I'll be doing them. And in fact, I've been training hard this week. And so this morning I was doing them and I was like, God, I can't even get halfway through this. And it just, it goes to show that it really is an indicator. Mm -hmm. Which, cause I was going to say when you have that, nothing humbled me faster. You're like, okay, 40 seconds, 45 seconds. That's a good thing to aim for. What did I get? I texted it to you. I got like 27. I'm like, yeah, I was like, wait a second. And that was me trying my hardest. I was like, I'm not going to fake. So if you want to do this at home, like Shane said, start breathing, deep belly breathing for a couple minutes just to get used to it, get open, mm -hmm. take one fairly deep breath in, and then start the timer as you exhale. As you exhale, you see how long you can make it. Any break in exhale, and as soon as you stop, that's when the timer stops to kind of test where you're at. And like you said, 40 is an average place to be. You said kind of average is not great. Average is where most people are, but most people have a lot of room for improvement, right? If, if you make 40 seconds, that's, I, I think, pretty good. And, but it shows you that you have a huge room for improvement. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to touch more on and ask about personally myself. Tony just mentioned, you know, do deep belly breathing. And I think the first thing people may glaze over that, but how many people, do not breathe with their stomach. I know when I was a trainer and we did a breath work, before I even went and got my master's, we had them practice <clears throat> like belly breathing versus, you know, breathing so much like moving their chest up and down, you know, really engaging mm -hmm. your stomach with your breath, what that looks like. How does that impact, you know, if you don't belly breathe, you know, breathe in with your stomach? How does that impact your ability to change, you know, your CO2 thresholds, if it does at all? 
It's a really good question. And it's one of the things people could be doing. First of all, when we're breathing into our lower belly, really, you know, the lungs are where? They're behind your ribs. Uh -huh. They're actually not in your stomach. But we say lower belly to kind of place the mind in the lower lungs to breathe deeper and to breathe longer. So, you know, it, in tradition, in contemplative traditions, they always talk about breathing into the lower belly because what happens when you are breathing fully into the lungs is the belly is actually rising and falling. And we see this in babies, babies breathe mm -hmm. normally mm -hmm. in their, in their belly, but we start to breathe in our upper chest and we start to breathe shallow. And so when we start to breathe shallow, we start to raise CO2 in the body un and we're not conditioned for it. So, and we have, and then we're having actually taking in too much oxygen. So what's happening when we're breathing into the, into the belly is there's a better exchange of oxygen and CO2 and we're able to get that process that I was talking about, the bore effect of getting more out of that oxygen from uh, into ATP is happening because we're optimizing our breathing process. Mm -hmm. Now, when we do that, we are stimulating the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is communicating to the body that it's relaxed. It, it, it's putting it in what's called a parasympathetic tone. And that tone is important for our general state. If we're breathing shallow, and, and breathing into our kind of upper chest, that is stimulating our sympathetic nervous system. And our sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight system that releases mm -hmm. cortisol and adrenaline and the, and the parasympathetic is the rest and digest. And that's what you want to be in most of the time when a tiger is chasing you, yes, release adrenaline, cortisol, and all of that. But when you're just sitting on your couch and you're breathing through your mouth, watching Netflix for three hours, you're stimulating that fight or flight response and sending the body mixed signals. Mm -hmm. So we have to retrain ourselves to breathe into the lower belly. There's actually a, a strap that I've seen online where it's kind of just like this little Velcro, um, belt that you put around your belly to kind of help you retrain it, to have something to, to push against, to retrain you to breathe in the, the lower belly. In fact, oh. there's even a power lifter. I, I'm forgetting his name that I've seen using this because using that core and, and building that system is so important to brace when doing a power lifting. Yeah. So, but hugely important, hugely important for regulating the nervous system is breathing into mm -hmm. the lower belly and retraining that. Massive. And I think just to, to not skip over it too, like when we're talking about like the breath out test and your HRV and what that's measuring, what you were just talking about, it's measuring essentially the balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, mm -hmm. how much time you are spending in rest and digest versus fight or flight. And what happens is as you spend more and more time in fight or flight, if it's because you have poor breathing habits, you're overtraining, you're undersleeping, you're under recovering right? You spend more and more time in that sympathetic or that fight or flight zone. And that's mm -hmm. what's going to cause you to score lower on the breath out test to mm -hmm. lower your HRV, which is not a, an optimal spot. That's not where you want to be. So that's what we're kind of trying to relay here 
is as we can talk now, I think about more practical steps of, okay, how do we improve these numbers? How do we improve this state? Why we want to improve it is it works. What's I'm, I'm spacing the word bi-directional, both ways, whatever mm -hmm. it is, kind of mm -hmm. like in psychology, if you're not feeling happy, but you smile, it kind of tricks your brain a little bit into feeling happy. Mm -hmm. Same thing here with breathing. And this is, this is what blew my, I know I texted you like a hundred times the first day I did it. When you gave me the breathing exercise where I started doing it midday during my workday and with the aura ring, you can time it and say, okay, I'm doing a breathing exercise right now. And it closely measures your HRV during the span of it. Oh. And I think it was legitimately, remember, I think I texted you screenshots. It was a five, I think seven minutes is how much I did it for the four second inhale, eight second pause, eight second exhale, four second pause. I would do that. And in the span of seven minutes, it increased my HRV score by about, I think nine or 10 points, mm -hmm. which if, if you're not familiar with HRV, if you don't track it, that's like equivalent for me to a good night's sleep from at the end of my day to when I sleep and get it, wake up in the morning, mm -hmm. which in a seven minute time period to take my body, to elevate it, to put it more in, I was in more of a sympathetic state, that fight or flight, a seven minute breathing exercise could slowly move me more into that parasympathetic rest and digest where, and that's what was kind of killing me through the day is I'd be stuck. And I, I wouldn't know why I was so drained at the end of the day. And until I started taking those breaks to kind of relax me, I'm at work. I don't need to be high heart rate. I don't need to be as exhilarated if I'm working. So that's what really drew me into it the most. And this is what that affects and why breathing is important is because you can push your body to spend more time in that zone that you want to be in. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what we're going to, so that's what like really drew me into it. And I just don't want to skip over that because I know we were mentioning the different terms. So let's talk about, I think how we can start improving this for all of us specific exercises. Like what's practical? Cause we said it's the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. Right. It's not going to take the most, you don't have to dedicate an hour to your day mm -hmm. doing something like this, but how can we start talking in and, and saying, okay, how do we start improving this for the average individual, even if you're not working out just to spend more time in that rest and digest that parasympathetic to feel less stress and more recovered. How can we start implementing that? Yeah. First of all, one note that I wanted to say about V one way that I've always thought about it for, for people to think of this is HRV is a good indicator of your capacity to reach extreme, like violence physically. Right. It's like your ability to have huge output contrasted with how deeply you can be in a state of peace. You know, you, you might be a really high output individual, but you don't get very relaxed. Your HRV isn't going to be very good, but if you can go out and, you know, perform at a really high level athletically, and then go into a deep, deep meditation fairly easily. That's a really good indicator of your ability to switch between these different modes that HRV is, is kind of indicating. That's the way I've always thought about it as far as how is it applicable to look like, how, how can I think about how I can improve these things? Because exercise improves it and being deeply relaxed improves it. So as far as ways to improve the CO2 tolerance your, your capacity to withstand carbon dioxide. Traditionally in yoga traditions, they do something called pranayama and pranayama can be translated as breath control. And any 
pranayama has to include something called, this is the Sanskrit word for it, a kumbhaka. And kumbhaka means breath hold. So what I originally had Tony doing was similar to what a lot of people have heard called box breathing, where you're breathing in for five seconds, holding for five seconds, breathing out for five seconds, and then holding that out breath for five. And that's creating a kind of resonance in the body. The optimal amount of breathing per minute is between about three to seven breaths, depending on what your activity and your size. In Zen training, deep meditators meditate for about one breath a minute. That's a pretty advanced meditator. And That's it's very doable once you get into a deep state of calm. So a lot of meditation techniques are using the breath to kind of you're breathing deep and you're, you're extending the out breath to, to kind of elongate the, the breathing. So you're breathing in and you're extending the out breath as long as possible and breathing about one or two times a minute in pranayama, you're using more of a kind of prescribed breathing technique. So I had Tony do the five by five by five. And then I think I had you do five by 10 mm -hmm. by 10 by five. And so you can start to kind of play with these different amounts, but ultimately what I have found to be the best is to just do breath holds. And that is what free divers are doing. They do something called CO2 and O2 tables. There's a, there's a couple of great apps out there. And one is called the shark apnea app. And you go in there and you set the timer and you hold your breath for as long as you can without passing out. Let's say you hold it for a minute. They're going to put in the, the, they say, okay, you can hold it for a minute. We're going to start you here. And the mm. free divers have figured out all these tables. They know what you need to be working on based on that hold. And you'll in the O2 and CO2 tables, you'll work on breath holds where you're holding your in two different ways where you're holding your breath for, let's say 30 seconds. And then you have a 30 second break. You're holding it again for 30 second, 30 second break. That's working on one type of table. The other type of table, you're getting the same amount, excuse me, you're getting the same amount of break, but you're increasing the amount of hold. So working with those tables is my purse. I've gotten more out of that than anything at this point, because I can see it reflected in my meditation practice. Then I'll start mm. off in the morning doing my O2 and CO2 tables, and then my lungs are kind of awake. They, they are, are used to the, the longer breath hold times and I'm able to breathe in a way longer and more relaxed way. The other, the, the most efficient way is hypoxic training, which is doing some kind of activity with a breath hold. And I don't recommend that to people, not unless you're with somebody that knows how to make sure you're safe and everything. But it's essentially what's happening in free diving. You're holding your breath and you're moving. So mm -hmm. you're just, you're having to utilize the oxygen and CO2 more efficiently because you're moving. But my recommendation would be, let me just look on 
my phone to, to confirm what those apps are. People would want to get the shark apnea app. That is, that's a great one. And then there's something called apnea trainer that free divers use. And that's where you can plug in the pranayama numbers mm. where you can say a whole in 10 minutes a day in the morning is really going to get you the most return on your investment. If you want to become elite, you're going to have to do it more than that. But mm -hmm. you, 10 minutes is going to make a huge improvement. So by doing one of these two things, either the apnea tables or the pranayama, you can then start testing your progress through that bolt test and the breath out test. And then, mm. and obviously you'll start seeing your numbers go up too. So the more, the longer you can do these breath holds, the more CO2 you're being able to tolerate. And yeah. so then that's increasing your aerobic threshold. Okay. Wait, may I be annoying and go pee real quick? Yeah, go <laughs> pee. Well, I was like, we can, we can cut this out. So you could talk, but I feel like, let me just go pee. It's like, I need it. 40 minutes. Hell yeah. Okay. Hold on. Leslie, what did I miss? So one of my questions is with a lot of work I do with my clients, my nutrition clients who have a history of binge eating and kind of going into that episode of you get this urge and then you act on the urge with a binge, which you are in that fight or flight mode. It's almost like when people describe it, it's like you black out. You don't really remember yeah. it happening. And so what I have them do when they can kind of feel that urge coming on is to breathe through that urge <clears throat> and that is kind of the basis of gaining back control being in that state of calm rest and digest how does that kind of apply mm -hmm. here if it does that's a similar that's a great question i i i don't have kind of a physiological answer mm -hmm. for it but i will say that in meditation, we always start using the breath. And the reason that we use the breath is normally our minds have, I, th I think there was some research done that we have about 60,000 thoughts a minute. I don't know how accurate that is, but there was research done at one point or I saw that, but it gives an idea of how many thoughts we have in a day. And we can pretty much personally, objectively recognize that that's probably the case. We have a lot. Mm -hmm. So our minds are all over the place. And when we have these urges to binge like that, and trust me, I've been into bodybuilding for years and I know what it's like to diet and mm. you just, your body just, like you said, kind of blacks out and you're just, I am binge eating. Mm -hmm. So what, what happened, how all this has helped me is to stay centered, to stay centered in, in my own consciousness, because Keeping centered on your breath helps keep the mind from going from 60 thoughts a minute to one. Your mind is on that one thought, which is just breathing into the lower belly and it's not being pulled away by Doritos, Twinkies, what kind of like, it would be so good to have, because the mind can just start blowing up with all of these thoughts and mm -hmm. these cravings to binge eat. And so having a relationship with our breath and low and keeping it into the lower belly and staying in that rest or digest state keeps us so much more in control of, of ourself because the breath is the only thing that we can have both conscious and unconscious control over. There's nothing else in the body that's like that. So by consciously staying in control of it, you're consciously 
controlling your autonomic arousal. It's mm -hmm. the only, you, it's the only way we have access to that. There is one other that the Huberman lab has talked about, which is sight. Like if you look into empty space, that will immediately calm you. But mm -hmm. the breath is one of, it is really the only true thing that we have both autonomic and absolute control over. So in doing that, it's bringing you back into a state of inner control. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's well, so fascinating to me because, and again, there's multiple levels to this when you're talking in the context of binge eating, because oftentimes in the beginning, it is this, it happens so fast that you, it's happening before you know it, before you even knew, oh, this urge is coming on. So a lot of the work even before that is noticing patterns in this long link that, that leads up to binging and being able to recognize it. So, okay, before I get to that big switch, I am going to do some breath work so that I know I'm in control because no one wants to do this. It's not something you're engaging in because you <laughs> want to do it. It is a huge situation where you do feel out of control. So what can we do to identify that this is going to happen before, oh my goodness, it's that like, how did this happen? I didn't want this to happen. I mean, if anyone has experienced this before, that's really what it is. It's, it sounds crazy, but you're like at the end of it, maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's an hour. You're like, yeah. what just happened? So. Yeah. I, I think that what's happening in that state is your mind is just kind of consumed and what you really need is a little space. You need a space mm -hmm. in between those thoughts to go to actually have clarity and say, do I want to be doing this to, to reorient yourself and say, this is my goal. My goal was to lose weight. That's why I've been doing this. That's why I'm feeling this urge to eat right now, because I'm actually doing good. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in that clarity, in that space that we can regain through coming into the breath and coming into the body, then we have some conscious control instead of just being out of control and eating out of control. Mm -hmm. And then we can yeah. make a decision of, you know what, I've been doing really good. I'm going to have like this much, but that's it. As opposed mm -hmm. to just, because when you binge eat, it's not like that. You eat no. one cookie and that cookie turns into the entire bag. You're not even yeah. enjoying it. You're just compulsively consuming it. Yeah. yeah. Well, in that state too, like the best way I've heard it too is more, and this is not just when talking about binge eating, but in a lot of different like behavioral patterns that you quote unquote black out for. And like, you're like, I didn't do that. And why I think breathing relates back to it is like, it's someone else is almost driving. It feels like someone else was driving your decision-making. Like right. you weren't the one behind the wheel. And yeah. I think breathing kind of put instead of like more like the, because of that meditation practice, but just being able to breathe, calm yourself down, put yourself more into that parasympathetic state essentially kind of at least puts you back in the driver's seat mm -hmm. a little bit more. So even if you do go through those decisions, you're more in control, which I feel like could be, I don't tell me if I'm wrong, but it could feel more just comforting in the fact that at least you were in control while doing it instead of that panic of not only did that just happen, but it's like, I don't even know how, who did that. It wasn't me. I wasn't driving the decision-making. And I think that's what the breathwork really kind of does. So I'm like, even this, and I was like, even something practical and small, Mariana, maybe you could talk to yours and we could even optimize it. When you have people that are going through that and we try and teach them to breathe through it, I'm like, what's a short exercise 
of even, I'm thinking maybe as little, and Shane, you could correct here, but what's a small exercise, the smallest thing you could do where if you do feel yourself losing control, this could be in binging, but this could be in any other scenario in life. If it's when you're having issues in your relationship, if it's when you are having a conflict at work, when it's any sort of thing that you feel like you're losing control, because that happens all over the place, what is a short exercise you could do to regain some of that control? Is there a, a 60 second, a two minute, a, a short drill that will help at least give you a little bit more control in that, do you think? Ironic first. I'm asking, well, I'm asking both because like, yeah, Mary, I said, what do you do now? And then I'm like, Shane, what could we do? Uh -huh. Is there a short practice that we could do? Because I know breathing through it, 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 obviously there's validity to it, but I'm like, let's, what if there's something we could give? Because I'm like, I could even take this on my own and use it, but something that everyone can use and say, next time I'm feeling a lack of control, let me pause for 30, 60, 90 seconds, whatever it could be. What's a short exercise that I know I could take with me today? and use mm -hmm. next time I'm feeling out of control. Yeah, I well, feel like in my... Oh, you go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, my fault. It's totally my fault for pitching that up. Okay, Mariana, we'll it say hurts. where do we start, and then Shane optimize. I yeah. want to learn too. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is very, and this is different, but there could be a lot of connections here, and I love to explore this kind of stuff, but a lot of it is regaining control, kind of when you feel this urge in the context of habit formation. So, yes, breathing now has these other effects of, okay, we are actually switching like our state of mind, like how we are addressing the situation. But it's really, if you <clears throat> take and what we work on together, two minutes when you feel, have this cue. So like in the, the habit loop, habit formation, the cue is going to be this urge. Instead of the routine to act on the cue immediately being, I'm going to the kitchen and eating, I want you to feel this cue just a little bit earlier so you can give yourself those two minutes, just two minutes to recenter, breathe, do deep breathing exercises, close your eyes to get in between the action. The immediate action is to breathe so that you can act on the behavior in a more conscious state of mind rather than it just being immediate. And we extend that period of time over time so that you prolong acting on it with the second you feel this urge we go to the kitchen and we eat and continue with that loop we're trying to interfere with that loop so yeah. i feel like in the context of you know adding in more structured yeah. breath control routine there can take it even that much more to the next level of breaking that cycle yeah so what yeah so shane what do you think we could first of all that is exactly what I wanted to say, because I think about the, that book, The Power of Habit, and just that that cycle. You have the mm -hmm. cue, you have the action, and then I believe you are supposed to get a reward afterwards. Yeah. And that one has always yeah. been tricky for me because, well, I just lost the reward. <laughs> yeah. So oftentimes the reward for me, if this allows you to identify, okay, is there hunger here uh -huh. or is there boredom? Or do I need to fill myself up with one of something that I just enjoy if I have free time, if I'm bored, but oftentimes there is hunger at play. The reward is now I get to actually cook a meal and reward myself with a good, nourishing, satisfying meal that I was able to make in, I was able to do it without anyone else telling me this is what I had to do or this is what I do to look better or, you know, it's really just, I want to feel good and I can make this decision. 
So that's oftentimes a reward, but I know those can be difficult with nutrition because food mm. as the reward can get a little bit dicey. <laughs> yeah, it can get dicey. One one thing, this really doesn't have to do with breath control, but one thing that I have utilized when trying in weight management is when I'm, but if, if I'm at home and Lauren has like, I love cookies. So if she like has brought home something like that, what I'll do is I'll be like, I know myself, I can't stop. I will allow myself to have one or two after I have a protein shake with mm -hmm. kind of all of my stuff in it, a banana, some berries. And, you know, it's, I know that I enjoy it. And usually after you have 40 grams of protein, you're actually not that hungry. So yeah. it's, it's not a problem. So I, I think something, I guess what I would recommend is, you know, feeling that cue, getting really good, like Mariana said, at recognizing what that feeling is early on and make that, you know, enjoy that process, get really interested in how early you can recognize that what is going on in my body that makes yeah. me do that, that makes me sabotage mm -hmm. myself. And when, when I feel that I'm just going to pause before I react and just kind of go internal and, and see what's going on inside. Just like what you said, am I bored? you know, what, what's really going on here. And then I kind of like the idea of saying, okay, if I really am hungry and it's going to be hard for me to keep passing by that plate of cookies, I'm good. Let me eat something. Let me eat my planned meal a little bit early. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm just dying, then fine, I'll, I'll have one. But because when, when we just say, can say absolute no to everything all the time, that's when it gets really difficult. I think. Yeah. 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 And that allows well, you to remind yourself, like, those foods are always going to be there. Now mm -hmm. I'm in a state of mind where I don't feel like I have to have this because I can't have it again or that mm -hmm. they'll never be in sight. It's I'm going to be a little bit indifferent towards these foods because I know I can have them whenever I want. But I also know how they make me feel if I eat too much of them. That's so true. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, and so here I'm asking, I guess, a little bit more specifically, because that's like if you can say, okay, I can do this, I can interfere with the loop. That's if you're, I feel like that's where like, if you're driving, you can make those decisions to do that. But I guess what I'm asking is more specifically, can there be a drill where as soon as people start to say, I'm losing control, is there a, let me do a two minute box breathing drill to help regain that control? Like more specifics, it's what can I take where I feel like I'm losing control? Can I set a timer for two minutes and just say, let me breathe. And then hopefully that puts me back in the driver's seat a little bit. Is there something specific or a, like a certain practice, timing method, something like that, that you think would be. I, I, you know, this would be really an interesting study because I don't think anybody has ever asked this question as far as using breath work as a way to deal with that. But it makes absolute sense in that we're using our breath kind of like what I said, just to regain the centered composure when you're in that state of mind you're you're not present you're you're yeah. you know off in craving land and uh, so I, I think just making a commitment to yourself that when i get that craving cue i'm going to stop for two minutes and i'm going to do some box breathing and regain my centered composure to feel you know, present within my body 
That way I can look inward, see what's going on, and then make a decision from there instead of a compulsive decision. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's what you think box breathing would be a, a good place to start to center. I was like, would you say yeah. box breathing? Some of those long holds that would kind of like the holds that you're talking about. I feel like, I don't know why, but I feel like that would slap me in the face and be like, Hey, well, I, I was a little hesitant. Right I was a little hesitant to recommend it, but there's yeah. a yoga technique called Bastrika, which also people call breath of fire, which is where you're kind of breathing like, and mm -hmm. it's kind of rapid. That is very arousing. It, it's stimulating to the sympathetic nervous system. So I don't recommend that to somebody that is sensitive to panic mm -hmm. or anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's way too much of that going on in the breathwork community. There's so much focus on that. It, it yeah. needs to be on the other end. However, it does kind of, I think when we get that craving to, to binge, there's a kind of like, we're, we're not aroused. You know, when I wake up in the morning and I'm ready to kick the day's ass, I don't really care about binge eating. It usually happens later in the day when glucose starts to go down. I mean, that's what willpower is really coming from. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe a more arousing breathwork technique would be good. And then maybe a breath hold at the end of it. So kind of a minute of faster breathing and people can look this up on YouTube, just look up breath of fire, do that, and then do a couple breath holds at the end. And that, then you're doing more of a dynamic exercise where you're doing both the arousing and the relaxing to kind of tap into your inner state. Yeah. Okay. So that, I was gonna say that would be super beneficial. I think like that would firmly, I mean, as little as two minutes, I feel like just at least put you in the, in the place where you are making a, you're more making that decision than mm -hmm. feeling that loss of control that separation, which I think is so freaking cool. Yeah. Because when you're breathing, when you're actually doing a breathwork technique, you can't kind of, you can't do that unconsciously. You have to be focused yeah. on it, right? So it's forcing you into presence yeah. by doing that. And, and I just, I really believe that that's what's happening with a lot of this stuff is people just aren't present in their body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you can come back into that and recognize that that's what's happening, that's going to get rid of a, a lot of it. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it. Yeah. Big time. And I think so. That's, a, I think, a good piece of where you kind of see it trickle into life. And I know, obviously, improving your CO2 tolerance, thing, it's going to help you recover better from training. Where else are people going to notice this in their life outside of the gym? And recovery because mm -hmm. off the top of my head and i just want you to like kind of go through it because i'm like off the top of my head i'm like you i would guess notice significantly more sustained just energy through the day yes. less tiredness less fatigue things like that would probably be one of the bigger things obviously being in a more parasympathetic state less overall stress through the day is also going to carry on that but just being a generally in a more relaxed state through the day which obviously carries into every relationship but where else can people see this in their day your ability to absorb oxygen into the mitochondria, which is what's creating ATP, which is the battery of the body, the energy. So your ability to absorb that oxygen efficiently is what is going to help you produce energy. If you're not doing that, it's like I was saying before, oxygen can be at 90% in the body, but your ability to utilize the oxygen 
is not optimized at all. If you're, if you're doing these tests and you're seeing that you're not there and trust me, if you haven't trained in this, it's not. So you're by being able to tolerate more CO2, you're bringing up your ability. And so it, it's in the body longer. So now you're optimizing your breathing throughout the day too. You're mm -hmm. not breathing up into the upper chest. You're breathing into the lower belly. You're breathing deeper and longer and more relaxed. You're conserving more energy by doing that and producing more. So, you know, I don't know if this is true, but when I hear about chi and prana and all this stuff and these different traditions, which is energy, this is what I think of because doing these techniques, I'm really filling up these batteries of energy in my body and the mitochondria. And by being, by not having my, also the meditative process of it too, of being kind of centered on my breath when my, you know, the brain uses 50% of our glucose. So a chess player can burn 6,000 calories, 8,000 calories in a day of playing chess, just sitting there doing nothing. A free diver can burn 800 calories an hour, just going up and down, not even barely kicking their legs. So calories can, energy can be burned in a lot of different ways is the point of me saying that. And the brain can burn a ton. So when we're centered on our breath, when we're kind of focused on that, and it's not 60 thoughts a minute, it's just that one focus, we're conserving energy. And we're then able to utilize that in things that we want to do in our life through creativity mm -hmm. and enjoying the people that we love and everything like that. So, you know, breath work can impact your performance. It can impact your general state, almost everybody has low level anxiety. If you're on your screen all day long, it, it's very difficult not to, it just, mm -hmm. your, your body is going to respond to that through kind of a low grade anxiety. So, so utilizing these things through some small practices going to have a huge impact on your overall well-being, let alone your performance in the gym or, and the other big thing is cortisol makes it difficult to lose fat. Right. So when your stress levels are really high, so the more we can lower those, the more it's going to be, it's just easier to maintain healthy weight and, and mm -hmm. all of these kind of things. So it just, it, it impacts every aspect of our lives. Our breath does. I mean, the moment you yeah. stop. Well, and I know, Mariana, you were, we were talking about cortisol, breath work and cortisol mm -hmm. yesterday. Oh, wait, am I still, can you still hear me? I know Sh Shane's paused for me, but. Oh, there we go. I know we were talking about breathwork and cortisol. And mm -hmm. I think cortisol is, we could almost do a whole freaking episode just on cortisol because it's it massively a very important hormone, but it's also something that, again, if overdone, can have a lot of negative implications. Mm. And I was like, I, I, I wasn't well read on this subject, but breathwork and cortisol, what's the relationship there? How well understood is that relationship? Well, just that you know, adrenaline and cortisol are stimulated through the sympathetic nervous system. And so if you're breathing shallow and you're, but when you're breathing shallow, you're over breathing, you're putting too much mm. oxygen into the body and not enough CO2 and not enough CO2 is, it just, it, it's such, so inefficient. It's not the way the body mm. was designed. So it starts stimulating this sympathetic arousal 
And that's what releases these stress hormones, which aren't in and of themselves bad, but when they're chronically present, they're bad. Mm -hmm. And people are chronically breathing through their mouths. They're chronically breathing shallow. Pause every now and then when you're scrolling through your phone and check in with how you're breathing. I can almost guarantee you that you're not deeply relaxed in your breath down in the lower belly, breathing three or four times a minute. Yeah. You, you're breathing up here. And, and so the body's always in this low grade state of unease and anxiety and, and we don't, I, it's become normal. Yeah. I was telling you that the other day, just after I know if I go a long bout where I'm just zoned into the computer and I take a deep breath, I'm like, holy crap. I feel like I just took my first breath in hours. Like I, it feels <laughs> like that weird sense of, have I even been breathing? Like it's. It's bad, but when you do get so focused yeah. in on work, it's, it does. So you kind of sit in that uneasy state and you're like, what have I been doing to myself? And so some people just live sometimes. Some people just live. That's just brought up something I was thinking about and wanted to know. Is there a difference for people in terms of their routine or kind of how long it would take to see the effectiveness for people with anxiety? So who are constantly mm-hmm. almost feeling like they're in that fight, fight or flight state. Is there something um, they different or is it the same kind of application Mm. it so i actually have worked with a lot of people that have anxiety or panic disorder and i was in the military and when i was in the military i started developing panic disorder i didn't know what it was at first i actually went to the emergency room a couple of times because i was like i feel like i'm gonna have a heart attack or something you know Mm -hmm. 24 years old And they didn't know what it was until one day somebody told me, you know, I had this friend that I was going to to work in the Navy and he was like, oh yeah, you're having panic attacks. And once I looked into it, I was like, oh, that is exactly what's happening. And Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, this is kind of a little background on, on my experience with it. I started taking medication for it and I felt like a zombie and I couldn't function. So... I got to a kind of a breaking point with it. I had it pretty intense. I would be laying in bed and all of a sudden get a panic attack. It made no sense at all. And I said, okay, nobody's going to fix this for me. I'm going to have to do this myself. And I mean, I got brain scan done, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. I was really confused as to why it was happening. And so I actually started doing meditation every morning and night for a half hour and I didn't really know what I was doing. I only knew to breathe really deep. And over time, it just started going away. And when they would come up, I would have that cue that, okay, I can feel that arousal. My my heart rate's starting to come up. My vision is starting to constrict. Let me implement my technique that I feel safe with, which is to come into my breath and to breathe deep, deep. And slowly, even though I want to breathe fast, I'm going to breathe slowly and control that and have confidence that that's going to work. And I have never had one ever since. And I give these techniques to several people that have had big T traumas that have had generalized anxiety and panic disorder because of it. And it has changed their life. So when it comes to that kind of stuff, in my opinion, there's no better medicine than breath work. It's so crazy to me because it's, it's free. It's something you can do right this second, no matter where you are in the world. Like 
you don't have, oh crap, I forgot my supplement. Oh crap, I forgot my XYZ. It's free. Mm -hmm. It's right here all the time. It's, it impacts, I want to say everything. It impacts almost everything. It's insane. I, I, I mean, it's what's keeping you alive. I can't imagine what it doesn't impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for real. Like it's, yeah. so it, it, I think that's kind of, a, I was going to say it, probably the different applications. Cause I'm like, yes, doing it in the morning, I think would be a good mm -hmm. thing to help most people. But I'm even starting to think too, I'm like, if it's something to kind of put you more in that calm state, I mean, Shane, you and I have talked and Mary, we've all talked about this a lot, just the importance mm -hmm. of sleep and recovery in general. Mm -hmm. And let's even talk about sleep for a second. Cause I think this would be a big piece too, that I think I was, why I might've initially reached out to you for breath work was I was like, I feel like I'm just, I'm getting done with my day. And I'm having a really hard time just falling mm -hmm. asleep. And I was like, okay, so in the morning would be a good place to put it. But I'm like, with other people positioning breathwork through the day, depending on your circumstance, I think it really help. I think maybe people that have a hard time falling asleep, would you say as soon as they're done with work or whatever the last like alert focused task is of the day, if it's family dinner, whatever, do you think breathwork following whatever that is? for five, 10 minutes would really help relax them and put them in a state where the, mm -hmm. it just puts them more in that state to fall asleep, 100%. not makes them sleepy, but put calms them down. A hundred percent. I always recommend doing it first thing in the morning because that's when you're the most relaxed and you have the best baseline. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard to get that baseline of what your breath holds and all of these things are when you're doing it afternoon. Cause maybe you had a busy day, maybe you didn't. So that's. The morning is a great time to have a baseline. H having a benefit immediately to, to something that you really need, which is sleep, is why it, it's good to do it before bed or when you're finished with your whatever has been busy. Because, you know, if you go and do a high intensity interval workout at 9 p.m. and your bedtime is 1030, you're not falling asleep. You're, you're mm -hmm. so aroused. So you need a tool to bring that arousal down. And mm -hmm. I mean, I've probably said it 10 times now, the, your breath is your access to being able to switch the autonomic, to be able to switch the nervous system into an aroused or to a relaxed state. So using that before bed is huge. I mean, if you wake up or, or let's say you're laying in bed. I do this all the time. If I really can't sleep, I will first of all, lay in bed and focus on breathing into my lower belly and kind of do the, the long, deep breathing where I'm actually breathing in for about eight to nine seconds and breathing out for double that. So I'm kind of doing this really long, deep breathing. And if I can't fall to sleep doing that, then I'll actually get up and sit up and, and I'll do it for longer, but I almost always will be able to fall asleep once I start doing that because it starts to calm your, your system down. A lot of times what happens when we can't sleep is our mind is still just going so much and we don't have an anchor to hold on to, to get it to calm mm -hmm. down and using that breath gives us this anchor to yeah. First of all, we're actually working with our physiology to calm it, but also now we're not having this mind that's jumping all over the place too, because the body doesn't know that if you're thinking about some kind of really stressful event in your mind, 
you know, you want to say something to your boss, you kind of, you know, how we all will create this, these scenarios in our mind, we're not even paying attention to, and they're stressful. The body doesn't know that that isn't really happening. It responds with increased heart rate, little releases of adrenaline and cortisol. And that's, what's keeping you awake when your mind starts getting busy like that. So you have to recognize my mind is moving a lot. And most of what it's doing is probably negative. So come using the breath to anchor <clears throat> our mind and then manage our actual physiology is the way to calm it. Yeah. Like that's you. Cause that's how many people like stay up at night just because they can't stop thinking. It's like they're, they'll be exhausted, but they can't stop thinking. Mm -hmm. another joke. So it's really, it's Mariana and I really geek out about creatine because it's so practical and so many people can use it. Breathwork yeah. seems like something that is just, it is something that if you learn how to do can mm -hmm. be such a short implemented tool that you can use in almost any situation through the day. If it's falling asleep, if it's feeling anxiety come on, if it's waking up, if it's sustaining it, it just seems like a tool that you can use and put in to improve almost any area of day. Like it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more you'll develop a relationship with it and you can start to have your own practices that you know work for you. And I just, I encourage people to explore it the way they explore nutrition and exercise mm -hmm. science, explore breath work, explore mm -hmm. the diff different techniques, try them out, see what works for you because everybody's a little bit different in what they need and, and what would work for them. It, it's, you know, one thing, it's not a one size fits all, just the way programming for, you know, training isn't either. We all have different weaknesses. We have different strengths, but I mean, ultimately though, most people are weak in their CO2 tolerance. And that, that's, that's an easy one. Like we said in the beginning, it's the lowest hanging fruit with the biggest impact. Absolutely. Yeah. So say if you had someone who's never, someone's listening and they've never practiced this before, it's a completely new concept. They want to try it. What are two things they could do to just add into their day or maybe even just one thing they could do a day to start? I love, so you mentioned some stuff about habit earlier with the cues and, and these types of things. I love habit stacking and that's the way I get a lot of, you know, I actually struggled getting a daily breathwork meditation practice for years. I always wanted to be this great meditator and be able to hold my breath for eight mm -hmm. minutes and all of this kind of stuff, but life would happen and I would fall out of it. So I started to do habit stacking. And I think one of the best ways people can do this is to stack it with whatever rituals you already have. If you get up and have coffee or tea every morning, do it, have it sitting there while you're doing your breath work, instead of playing on your phone or watching TV or something like that, have your coffee while you do your breath work and take some sips in between rounds. And then, you know, if you go to the gym every day or, or a few times a week, you don't have to do breath work every day, but you should do it almost every day if you really want to improve at it. And it's small doses. I always recommend small doses, 10 minutes, 20 minutes at most in the beginning. And I like doing that. I've been doing it when I go to the gym, I'll go and I'll roll out a little bit and stretch and things like that. That takes me 10 minutes. Then I'll just do five minutes 
of, of breath work, of kind of getting my lung capacity up, working those muscles, those respiratory muscles, and then I'll go do, do my workout. So stack it with what you're already doing. That way it doesn't become this thing that you're forgetting about and things like that. And then I would use an app. It's really easy mm -hmm. because that, like that shark apnea app or the, the other one I mentioned, you could put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Those just make it easy because they tell you what to do. You're just watching the clock and holding your breath and it, it takes the complexity out of it. But then once you know what you're doing, you can start to just play with your own, you know, create your own workouts, basically your own breath work mm -hmm. yeah. workouts. Yeah. Okay. So first thing to start is habit stack it with something else. And you'd say download the app. You send me the, the second app, the one that it's something app. Is it just apnea? Something apnea. It's, and then this shark apnea app seems, I don't think I have that one, but it seems like the best place to start for most people because it gives them a test. It kind of gives it to them. So it's like, okay, if you really want to start and if you want to make it download this app, mm -hmm. pick five minutes of your day that you already know is habitual. Mm-hmm. And just stack it and just start there. It doesn't matter. And I think, yeah, don't, and maybe because I know I'm an overthinker when mm -hmm. I try and do this. Okay. Is it best to do in the morning? Is it not overcomplicated? Like a lot of people do when they're stepping into a new workout routine. It's like, well, should I work? Is working out at night or morning better? Is it, mm -hmm. It's like the workout that you can get done consistently. That's the better yes. one. Yeah. Same thing with this. It's like, okay, don't overthink it. It's just five minutes. Wherever you want to put it, just put it where you know you're going to do it. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's waking up. Doesn't matter if it's falling asleep. Doesn't matter if it's at the gym. Just put it where you know you're going to do it. That's what you would say is the best. Yes. Yeah. The best, the best workout is the workout you'll do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Consistency for sure. Okay. So that's the, that's the best thing that you can take away today. One thing that you can start doing. And I think too, where have you learned? I mean, cause I, th this is where, I, cause curiosity is what probably largely drove how you learned so much about it, right? Just curiosity of starting, like you said, when you were younger and then just kind of like piecing together and just taking you across the map. Mm -hmm. Where can people learn even more about this? Well, so I will recommend a couple of things, but right now I'm working on two projects. One is called Internosis, and Gnosis is a, a Greek word that means internal knowledge, but it's a project that I'm working on where we're creating weekly classes to do breath work and meditation, and then some other personal development type of things as well. And then on creating kind of a foundations course to understand all of this at a deeper level. And then a friend of mine was in the SEAL teams for a number of years and has always been interested in, he works for the SEAL foundation now helping SEALs transition out of the military and, and things like that. And so we both are working on a project right now of utilizing these things for, to improve resilience, to kind of improve your capacity to withstand stress in very stressful conditions that, you know, special forces guys would go through. But that also in includes people in the business world and, and people in, at high level athletics. I mean, everybody, because everybody is, you know, withstanding so much stress. So I'm currently working on those two projects. The Internosis one will be, the website is already almost finished. So that one will be released soon. And then the other project you'll be able to find more about pretty soon if you follow me on Instagram or my website. But 
if you really want to start learning some stuff now, Brian McKenzie, who I absolutely love because he's taking, I feel like he's doing a lot of the stuff that I've been wanting somebody to do, has a course called Art of Breath. Also has some in-person retreats that he does with Lauren's, my fiance's cousin. Her name's Emily. And really? she's, she, yeah, she's on Instagram as shift adapt and well, no, she shift adapt is what their program is together. Emily's Instagram is called intrinsic way, but they are incredible experts in it. She's been a yogi for 20, 30 years, I believe. And so they're great resources. And then I'll be doing in-person events and retreats too over the next year. My plan is to be doing some free diving, like free diving with breath work, weekend experiences in Tulum, if you want to go there. But that's my ticket. Yeah. But those, those <laughs> are, those are the best resources in my opinion. And then if you want to get into the esoteric stuff, kind of the deeper traditional systems that have kind of started in China and Japan, there's this guy, he's a teacher of mine, Damo Mitchell. And he has a website called Internal Arts Academy that just is loaded with great information too. And people can message me about that, why that would be important if they want. Was that the guy you were showing me with like the thousands of videos? Yes, he has. Okay. An, <laughs> it's an incredible library. He, I, I'm really looking to him as a framework of how I want to organize everything because he's just done such an incredible job and I've gotten a lot from him. So for that course to come out that you're building, you're building the course with the friend, right? The, especially like the intro to bring everyone up from, you've never done this before to yes, not at almost, I mean, I, like you're taking them through step by step. Cause I think that's so important because I mean, how like we've talked about this, how much like mentors, coaches, things mm -hmm. like that matter in any area of life you want to improve, if you want to improve in your business, you should probably find a business mentor. If you want to improve your physical health, you should probably get a very reliable coach or trainer. Yep. Same thing. Take someone like yourself, who's been doing it for 24, 25 years, mm -hmm. going through all those curiosity routes, finding the dead ends, finding this. So you can know step-by-step step how to build on instead of having to <laughs> spend 20 years yourself doing it. Yeah. I can't wait till that course comes out. I think that's gonna be insane. Uh, and, and trust me. I love talking about that because I have beaten my head against the wall looking for stuff for a long time and just run into so many dead ends. And that is why it's important to to work with mentors and coaches and stuff, because it saves you so much time. Mm. When I first got into bodybuilding, I hired Stan Efforting and I was just like, I don't, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Just teach me. Yeah. When, you know, when I wanted to start learning how to invest, I hired a financial mentor to just basically tell me what to do mm -hmm. um, so because it just saves so much time. So if you yeah. can do it, you should do it. Yeah. If you're, if you're going to, I always say too, with people who kind of are trying to invest more on the nutrition side, if you're going to invest the energy and money to continue to start a new diet or buy another supplement or mm -hmm. something that is trending, that's going to bring you back to square one, mm -hmm. spend the time looking for someone who's an expert in this field yeah. and money on someone who can guide you there in the right direction because they're, I mean, that is the beautiful thing about social media and social networking nowadays is you can find that 
and you can mm. have access to that. So if that is what, if you have the time and the money, the access to it, shift it towards someone who can really guide you in the right direction in any sort of health behavior change that you have. You don't know where you're starting or you want to enhance and get to that mm-hmm. expert level. Yeah, seriously. And it keeps you accountable too, because when you're paying mm-hmm. for it, all of a sudden you're much more invested and in yeah. getting results from it. Big time. Well, I think that's, it's like these things are like, when we talk about, I don't know, I think of life in like just different pillars of like things that really matter. And the more and more I get engulfed in breathwork, especially, and especially after today and learning about this, it's like, it just seems like it's a no, like a no nonsense, easy decision to be like, this is worth spending a couple weeks and months getting to the point of understanding because it's going to be with you until you die. Like this is going to be with you until you die. It's going to have an impact in every other area. It's just one of those pillars. Like, we talked about this, you're breathing from every, like every second from when you are out of the womb until you die. <laughs> like maybe spend a little time optimizing that process because it is one of the most, one of the only consistent things you're going to have in life. It seems like one of those pillars. So I, it's just one of those things I think hopefully today helps a lot of people too. Yeah. To, to, to bring it all together, do a breathwork practice, do 10 minutes a day, find a time, figure out how to do it. And get that breath out test as your best baseline. You're probably going to get 20 or 30 seconds. Have a goal to get that to 60 to 80 seconds minimum. And when you can do that, keep it that way your entire life. And you will have a huge impact on your every aspect of your life. Your performance, mm-hmm. your well-being, your capacity to handle stress, your resilience, your capacity to recover. It will impact all of that. 60 to 80 seconds just blows my mind. I'm going to do it again right after we get off this call. Just I know. Today. I was like, I know I what li- I'm going to be doing. <laughs> I think I got 26 to 27 seconds. I, I texted it to you right after because I'm like, hey, Shane, I think I'm broken. <laughs> I don't think this is right. Um, yeah. I was like, I think I'm broken. Okay, so where they can find you too, because we'll put it, it's a good hour and a half here. We'll put it down where they can find you, your Instagram, your website. Where else can they find you and can you... Spell those out because it's your name, Shane.Hanner is your Instagram, ShaneHanner.com. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, can people Shane, find you? At Shane. is my Instagram. I'm not very active on it, but I'm trying to be better about it and, and share information about things like this. But I enjoy writing my blog and that's at ShaneHanner.com. You can get on my email list and I'll, I'll send out information on this and meditation and just some of the other stuff that I'm interested in. And then the website for the main project that I'm working on right now is innernosis.com, I-N-N-E-R-G-N-O-S-I-S.com. And that'll be available. It, it, the website will be public in about a month at most. Awesome. Awesome. Beautiful. Okay. So all these places, I was going to say too, like blog is probably my favorite spot now, if you got time, because I think it, uh, people don't write enough anymore. So. If you want a good position to be, go to shanehanner.com for his blog. Cause you just started that. Yeah, I, I did. Right. I, so just one quick background on me. I had been working in cybersecurity as my day job for the past 10 years and about seven months ago decided to commit full time to doing, focusing on this kind of work on human performance that in aspects that I don't think there's a lot of focus, which is on breath and meditation. 
there's a lot of people that do those things, but that not in the ways that I, I think that can be utilized best. So I, I have my own take on them. And so that's where I'm focusing my efforts right now. So yeah. late the past six months since I've been on off work has been focusing on creating content, learning how to do all of that. A lot of it's new to me, but I'll, I'll be putting out a lot more in the future. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was so freaking pumped. I remember I was so excited for that because mm -hmm. you're doing it for decades, but now you actually get to fully full your time into it. I'm like, oh God, this right. is going to be dangerous. Yeah. This is going to be dangerous. <laughs> this will be Tony, sent me, Tony sent me a trophy when I, when I quit. <laughs> oh, so you, oh, you yeah, sent me little... one too. Did I send you oh, a well, what'd you send me? You sent me something when I quit my job. Champagne? Did I yeah. send you champagne? Yeah. Champagne. Mariana, because <laughs> Mariana recently quit her job. Oh, congratulations. About, it, was, it was about a, five weeks ago, right? Five or six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Granted, I only got too. one year in corporate America, so hey. <laughs> I was a little bit more impatient. Still, well, and naive. congratulations. I love <laughs> anybody you. that quits corporate America and tells it to screw off. Even if yep. you have to struggle for a little bit, it's so worth it. The it's world so needs more worth of it. it. Mm -hmm. Them. Okay. <laughs> so it was an hour and a half. That was, that was solid. That was solid. So yeah, Shane, that was great. That was great. first guest ever. That's something to celebrate. I wish we had some champagne here right now. First guest uh -huh. ever on the Fitness Stuff Podcast. Thank you for coming on. I think that couldn't have gone better. Because I think the practical things that people can start implementing right now today that will have the most impact on their lives, I think that couldn't have been a better topic to run into. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have been a better person to help us break that down with as much practice that you've put into it. So thank you for being on. And we don't really know how to end these podcasts yet, so... We just kind of make sure to follow us on our socials, fs.pod <laughs> on Instagram, and we are on YouTube, Fitness Stuff for Normal People. You can watch us there. We're on all streaming platforms. And challenge yourself this weekend to breathe 10 minutes a day. I know yeah, I am. Do I'm definitely I'll, doing that after this. <laughs> do it right now. I was like, you got five minutes right now. D double dare you do it. And then again, <laughs> you can find Shane at Shane.Hanner on Instagram. His website is probably the best place to be. ShaneHanner.com. That's H-A-N-N-E-R.com. Mm -hmm. With his blog, his new projects releasing. Get on his newsletter, and we'll tie a bow on that one. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.